either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. No shortage of films to talk about this week. Couple of wannabe blockbusters. Good stuff all over the place. Welcome in. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com. We're going to start out with Barry Allen using his super speed to change the past, but his attempt to save his family creates a world without superheroes, forcing him to race for his life in order to save the future. It is The Flash. This world must die. Interesting group. Lots of help. Wait, he's Batman? You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. Oh, this rips! We're in uncharted territory. Batman, what do we do? We try not to die. Are you ready? Ready. Let's go. Fancy friends. Yeah, it was an Uber. Holy exec. Well, this one is just um, kind of fan service in search of a movie. I think. lot a lot of fan service. Yeah, and some has some of the the fan service, the cameos have either leaked out or been leaked out, mm-hmm. uh, but not all of them. No. And there's a lot going on here. Obviously, uh, the Flash is the latest in the DC EU. And some of their the problems that have sort of haunted their films are still around in this one, and very curiously so. CGI. CG- we should just start there. Yeah. The, the funny thing is, speaking of starting, I think the film actually starts out strong. Yeah. It's got a an adventure before the real meat story begins, and you get really for the first time that I remember seeing the Flash, how he gets up to the speed and his full speed and, and the full range of of uh, the things that he does to get up to that speed. And I thought it looked pretty cool, pretty good. Right up until. Right up until he's, he, it involves a, a crumbling building with some babies inside. And the babies, of course, you don't have stunt babies. They're CGI babies, and they're eh, bad. That's the first. They're almost the, Renesmee. The bad. first, no, no. <laughs> it's the first clue that things uh, might be going awry later. But that one has some other DC superheroes in it too, and it, it sets a nice tone. I thought that was a, a well-executed um, rescue a superhero adventure, uh, so to speak, and and also a nice a nice early look at some of the humor that was going to be coming up in this film because that I think that has that's one of the strong suits of it as well. It lands some some good lines, some funny lines, some wink wink lines without going overboard. I think so. Now we're starting off trying to do some pluses mm-hmm. here, but then I think the after right after that the pace starts to bog down a little bit, and then leading to just a tremendous amount of fan service at the end. But yeah, and of course Ezra Miller, who uses they them pronouns, uh, is back playing Barry Allen slash Flash. Problematic, obviously. Um, I think both of us are surprised that they are still part of this franchise. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, because I, I don't think that, I don't know, if that anybody's gotten the opportunity to get so attached to this performance that, although obviously the film had already been filmed before 
there were so many legal issues, but there are so many legal issues. They are involved in so many accusations and indictments and in many, many places across the country that it is, especially, you know, and I've read recently that they're already planning to 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 cast Ezra Miller in a sequel to this film, which I think... Do you want to find out if they serve time or anything first? It, it, it is a bit curious, but all that aside, just judging on the performance, I do think it's pretty impressive because they play two characters. Right. As Barry Allen, early on in the film, finds out that his speed, he can hit a speed that lets him travel in time. Right. And right away, Ben Affleck, Batman, advises him, don't do that, butterfly effect and all. But what he's trying to do is, in the case of so many superheroes, he's lost a parent. Uh, His mother was murdered, and now his father, played by Ron Livingston, is on trial for the murder. And he thinks there's just one thing that he could do, just slip into the past, put a can of tomatoes in a shopping cart, slip out, don't do anything else, and it'll all be good. And, of course, no. That affects everything, and he winds up... In a different universe, you know, the multiverse is all the rage right now, (laughs) where he is dealing with a version of himself that doesn't have any superhero powers, and Batman in that universe has hung up the cape and is disillusioned. That Batman, I think we all know, is played by Michael Keaton. Who who pretty much owns the film. Yeah, everybody's looking forward to that, understandably so, and Michael Keaton does a great job. He really, it, it seems like his Bruce Wayne Batman is just a pickup of where he left off in the 90s, just an older, wearier, yeah. wi- you know, world-wisened version of that. Yes. He doesn't chew the scenery, but he just gives you that ornery streak that he's, you know, he's lived this life and he, he's gotten to the point where he's not a superhero anymore. But yeah, another chance to put the suit on, he'll, he'll do that. Yep. So that is a treat. But also in this universe, uh, General Zod is still a threat, Michael Shannon. And so General Zod is coming back to destroy planets. So then the two Barrys and Batman, they're off trying to find an imprisoned Superman, but they do find Supergirl. Now, this is the first glimpse that we get of Sasha Calais, who's going to have her own standalone version of Supergirl uh, in the future. And she gives an intriguing uh, take on Supergirl, I think. There's definitely some possibilities there, but that's that's basically the main story. But as it goes along, it really leads to the feeling, like you said, that they they started with the idea that we want all these cameos, all this fan service. All right, how can you write me a story that gets us there? Yeah. And that seemed seemed like a problem. Writers are Christina Hodson and Joby Harold. Haven't even mentioned the director, Andy Muschietti, from mm-hmm. the it. it and It Chapter 2. Uh, handles some of the action, aside from the CGI, pretty well, I think. But uh, the pacing is a problem. And then once it gets to the finale and they get to this, it's called the Chrono Ball, where time and space and multiverses collide. And boy, toward in the third act, when they start rolling out all these cameos, that's when the CGI gets really, really disappointing. So much so that remember when it was such a joke about Superman's mustache. I do. We made that joke. Yeah, everybody did. <laughs> you just you would think that we're not going to repeat that mistake. Right. But man, some of it in this in the last third of this film just makes you wonder. You didn't really learn much about it because it's really not good, and you just wonder, shake your head at the fact that somebody along the way said, "Yep, that'll go. That that's good. Print it." There are, there are moments, I think, too, where, because there are two berries, where, you know, that doesn't look 
realistic either. And we we just talked about we finally watched a show. We we watched one show per year. It was Dead Ringers this year. And you and I talked about how how far it's come that you can make it look like one actor is in the same room with them. Like you know you didn't you didn't bat an eye at the twin scenes with Rachel Weiss in that in that show. Not at all. That's true. And I, I think the the same actor playing the same character here is less of a problem than there are a couple times when Barry the Flash has the suit on the 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 mask on and it doesn't cover his whole face it leaves you know his his mouth open and the mouth I'm like what is that his real mouth were they trying to manipulate that that was the problem for me more so than the two actors together so it's just it's 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 a problem yeah. and and then it just like i said steamrolls toward all these cameos uh, from superheroes past and present and then two extra scenes uh at the in the mid credits and the very end credits that i don't know what the point was really to be honest with you more fan service maybe yeah so so all in all it was it's not the worst of the bunch but it's just a it's got a few moments that are effective leading you to think that you know if they would have had more confidence in this character it it, it just seems like he's we're going to use this character to serve other characters right um and i know michael keaton coming back is a big deal yeah. i get it i i do get that but the entire story seemed like well we're just going to use the flash to get us to these other moments where we can really blow people's minds with this fan service so all in all i thought it was disappointing still the cgi i just don't get it I just don't get how, after all that we've seen in other superhero movies, they allow this to be, yeah, okay. Somehow DC is so far behind everybody else. I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, So this is certainly middle middle of the pack. Middle of the pack for sure. And that is The Flash all over the place in theaters this weekend. Also in theaters this weekend, all over, is the latest from Pixar. This one follows Ember and Wade in a city where fire, water, land, and air residents live together. It's elemental. So you've never left Firetown? Sorry, buddy. Elements don't mix. Hey! Plus, my dad would boil you alive. Why does anyone get to tell you what you can do in your life? Come on! Ember, I see a change in you. Water guy. I've been trying to fill my father's shoes, but I never once asked what I wanted to do. Try this. Dad, those are too hot. I love hot food. It's gorgeous is what it is. Yeah. And it, it was really lucky that that our screening was 3D because it's not always, you know, they, they release it in 3D. They release it in other formats and we don't always get to see the 3D. It's so gorgeous. This movie really, uh, even for just from the opening seconds, spills off all four sides of the screen. It's such a beautiful movie to look at. And, uh, and our lead characters, Ember, who is from Firetown, so she's a flame, and then Wade, who's from Watertown, so he's like a big drop of water. And what they do visually with just like the fluid nature of the water and with every kind of light refraction, and it's so gorgeous. And the vo- the voice cast also is really, really impressive. And honestly, the writing is very clever and deals with, in a in a not superficial way, a lot of 
issues that you don't always see in kids' films. The only real flaw to this movie, and it's mainly because being a Pixar film, mm-hmm. it is impossible not to compare it with other Pixar films, is that it feels too familiar. It's it's essentially it's essentially a Romeo and Juliet, right? She's from one side of town, he's from the other side of town. Her father doesn't want them to have anything to do with each other, but they fall for each other anyway. And that's so, I mean, it's not just Romeo and Juliet. It's like every third romance that ever <laughs> comes out. And, you know, it's hard not to, when you, the same studio that gives you inside out, who saw that coming, right? Or up, yeah. you know, these, in, uh, Wally, these incredibly, Finding Nemo, I mean, the, the stories that they come up with for Pixar films, Coco, they're so unusual Yeah. that when you get something, and I, I think about the movie Brave, which I liked very much, but it didn't go over the way other Pixar films did because it's just another princess movie. Mm-hmm. And it isn't. I mean, they do some interesting and new things, but at its core, it is a movie about a princess, and nobody thought Pixar needed to do that because we got enough of those. Yeah, so in a little bit, that's how this feels. We've mentioned it seems like we mention that almost every time we talk about a Pixar movie. Pixar has the the uh, strange situation of competing against themselves time and again. They've raised the bar so high yep. for animation time and again that they have to be judged against their best. So that even when they've got something pretty good, it almost feels like a disappointment yep. because of the heights they've they've hit in the past. And the director here is Peter Sohn. And you mentioned the voice cast. I think uh, some of the names that people recognize, Catherine O'Hara, Wendy McClendon-Covey. Uh, but uh, Leah Lewis is Ember, and Mamadou Athey is Wade, the two, uh, the fire and the water. Yeah. And as good as it looks, you mentioned the 3D, which is great, because if you're going to do something and put something in 3D, it's nice when you say they take full advantage yes, they of do. it and make it worthwhile. So the thing here is it just doesn't end up being as memorable. Exactly. So many of the the Pixar films, you leave the theater and you're just... You're just gutted, or oh, you're, yeah. you're you're filled with such joy and wonder. You're going to remember it. This one doesn't. This one feels a little forgettable. It does. Not that it's bad. It's just that the plot is so familiar. Yeah. You know, it, it, and what they do with the plot, like the the lines that people deliver, there there there's a lot of nuance and a lot of layers. But the, it's just that the story itself. You're exactly right. Unlike Up. For yeah. example, the story itself is just not going to stick with you. Yeah, but we do have to give a, a also a shout out to the short film oh, yes. that is included. Speaking of one of Pixar's <laughs> best, you mentioned Up. Yeah, it's Carl's Date. Yeah, oh my God, it's just the dearest thing that Carl sort of accidentally agrees to a date. Uh, with Doug, Doug has a friend. It's another, it's another dog with a with a speaking collar, obviously, and uh, and Doug's friend's owner has asked Carl out on a date. And oh. so the whole the whole short is just him fretting over the fact that he said yes to this date. And it's it's it'll crush you. It's oh. so lovely. It's such a beautiful <laughs> short. From one of their all-time best up. But this one for, for Pixar seems like a disappointment, but don't get it wrong. We're not not saying it's a bad movie at all. It's actually it's, quite a good movie. It is, but but just on the on the Pixar scorecard, uh not up in their in the in the heights that they have they've hit before, which are Often so high, just not as as memorable. Right. But certainly lovely to look at, and a nice story as well. And that's all out in uh, theaters now called Elemental. <laughs> a horror comedy next. Seven black friends go away for the weekend, end up trapped in a cabin with a killer who has a vendetta. Will their street smarts and knowledge of horror movies help them stay alive? Probably not. It's called The Blackening. What do we do? <laughs> A plan. Let's get some weapons. 
Wait, chili powder, girl? What am I finna do, cook? Sorry, girl, we ran out of that. Get down. I'll be right back. I always like to believe that knowledge of horror movies will keep you alive. <laughs> this is this is based on um, a skit, I guess, that went viral from uh, co-writer and co-star Dwayne Perkins. He co-writes the script with uh, Tracy Oliver. Tim Story is the director. And it does a good job finding that space, as you said on TV this morning, between Get Out and and Scary Movie. Because, you know, Scary Movie series, it poked the just spoof. silly fun, yeah. spoofy fun yeah. at horror tropes. This one is much more smart about it, not only the horror tropes, but the social commentary. You got these friends, they're all friends from college, and they're having a reunion to celebrate Juneteenth. At a what? At a cabin in the woods. Dumb. Which always goes over well. Um, and they're not there very long before they find a board game that has a, a centerpiece that's a talking blackface. Yeah. And um, it also, the board game comes with recorded instructions from a killer who is forcing them to play the game, which asks them questions about black history and black culture, and then to sacrifice one by one the person, the friend that seems the blackest. So right there, that is a really clever device because you're you're forcing these black characters to the, the less black they seem, the better chance they have of surviving. And that is rich ground for yes, social it commentary. It really is. That's a really great spin on it. So they have a chance to do the social commentary and, and poke fun and, and have fun, but in a very knowing way, and also make fun of the horror tropes, which yeah. they do very well. I mean, obviously, Cabin in the Woods comes to mind. Saw, because mm-hmm, they're playing clearly. a game. Yeah. Scream, mm-hmm. very, especially in the beginning. And there's lots of homages, and they do it well, I'll tell you. And this is a movie you don't want to see at... Don't, don't wait to stream it. This movie... You'll have much more fun with a crowd. Yes. Much yes. more fun with a crowd. You're going to be hooping and hollering, and I bet you know the crowd is going to get into it. I think that's going to add add to it as well. Because so often, horror movies are more fun to see with a crowd because you're all afraid at the same time. And the same thing with comedies are more fun to see with a crowd because the more somebody's laughing, the more you're laughing. Yeah. And I feel like when, when... And it's hard to combine comedy and horror. It really is. And social commentary. Yes. It, it, and and they do... It, this movie does all of it yeah, well. Yeah, they do, they do a really good job. And just some of the cast members, uh, Jay Farrow, uh, also, as I mentioned, the co-writer Dwayne Perkins, Cinqua Walls, who we're seeing everywhere Oh, lately. yeah, he's everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's back in. Uh, Melvin Gregg, uh, Antoinette Robertson, Grace Byers. Um, it's I actually gr- loved uh, Jay Farrow, the the scene, the early scene with Jay Farrow yeah. when they're commenting on the Scream movies, <laughs> and then they just look at the camera for a second. It's really funny. Yeah, no, there's, it, it does. It does. It does a great job of mixing that, finding humor in the horror tropes that we all know and love, mm-hmm. and, and then some real act, you know, serious social issues. Yes. And and speak about it in a way that yeah you're laughing but there's some there's some truth to this as well so uh, yeah this is a this is a recommendation especially with a crowd you're gonna have even more fun uh, seeing it with a big crowd when you catch it in the theaters and that is the blackening. Next up is a comedy crime thriller rom com. 
Question mark. Uh, Police Chief Sanders investigates the bizarre murders of two women with the same name and unravels a web of small town lies. He meets and quickly falls for Rita, a nosy neighbor who is eager to help solve the mystery. This is Maggie Moores. They're going to nail me for this. You understand? Loyalty member? Oh, I see. There's two Maggie Moores in the system. What are the odds of that? Is Maggie 1 a mistake for Maggie 2, or is Maggie 2 to cover for Maggie 1? If we remove the second Maggie Moore, it'll make it look like my Maggie was just a mistake. We gotta make it look like it was an accident, and I'm off the hook. Jay looks like he's been shoved around a little bit. Junior detective. Life insurance. 700K. Well, that ties it all up in a nice little bow, doesn't it? Give me some backup now. Wash your car. Wash your ass. How are we doing? You seem really worked up over this. Hey. The way there's more. Maggie Moore. Maggie Moore. Maggie Moore. Maggie Moore. So it's not Sarah Connor. <laughs> it's not Sarah Connor. Are you Maggie Moore's? Yeah, it's uh, apparently they say in the beginning it opens with some of this actually happens. So I guess this is based on maybe something. I tried to do a little research. I couldn't really find it, but apparently it's based on some sort of uh, actual case. I don't know. But uh, it's John Hamm as the police chief, and the nosy neighbor is Tina Fey. And they're, you know, they're buddies yep. anyway. Yep. And once their characters get together and find ways to spend more time together, it, the, the chemistry is, is palpable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it's funny. This is, it's not a great movie. It's familiar because it really seems like a, a combination of Coen Brothers and Taylor Sheridan. Right. Something like Hell or High Fargo. Right. Because you're going to recognize some of these connect some of these uh, plot points when these two women, both named Maggie Moore, in the same town, in the same week, wind up dead. And then the sheriff and his deputies have to fig- figure out, what is this a connection? What's the deal? What's happening? And all this web of different people, crazy characters. You've got, of course, each, each of the Maggies was married, and the one Maggie's husband turns out to have a girlfriend, uh, played, by the way, by uh, Bobby Kitten from here in Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um and also just recently took out a, a life insurance policy. Hmm, that's uh, that's a bit suspicious. The other Maggie's husband um, was helping out this pedophile, p- pass some photos in exchange for giving him a chance to to uh, buy discount and moldy meat for his sub shop. I mean, just weird, <laughs> yeah. weird stuff going on that possibly connects these murders. And this is what the chief, Chief Sanders, uh, John Hamm, is trying to uh, is trying to connect. So is it original? No, it's certainly not trailblazing in any way. But I found it entertaining. Right. And, uh, these these this uh, ensemble with uh, John Hamm and Tina Fey at the center of it is good. They all use the the dialogue. And I, I thought the dialogue was pretty uh, smart as well by Paul Birnbaum, who hasn't who hasn't written a script in, I think, since Next. Remember that in 2007? Oh, yeah. With uh, Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage. Cage. Yeah, I thought some of the dialogue was smart. It helped to draw these characters pretty distinctly. But the the, the thing that's weird about it is that in the middle of all the this caper stuff, it has this wannabe rom-com going on between John Hamm's character, who is widowed and still trying to get over it. He takes these writing classes at night, and one of the women in the class sort of flirts with him, and he rebuffs that. But So, so then we're kind of pulling for him when 
uh, Tina Fey, who's this, uh, no, like it said in the synopsis, nosy neighbor who want to be detective, who starts getting the clues, and and they find ways to to uh, sit down and talk and and have little uh, maybe little dates. So you're kind of pulling for them at the center of this this wild caper. So I thought it 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 worked. It worked in just an entertaining way. Sort of like Elemental, it's not anything you're going to remember probably Mm -hmm. even the next day. But while you're watching these 90 minutes, are you going to be entertained? I thought so. I thought so, especially with the cast and some of the dialogue. Director, by the way, John Slattery. Uh, the old, also from Mad Men. Yeah, also from Mad Men. And he directed a few years ago, he directed a movie called God's Pocket, which yes. I thought was pretty good. Yeah. It was a drama. And this one has much more of a comedic edge. And if you're just looking something for something light and breezy, uh, kind of messy, but if you like those mystery slash rom-com elements all thrown together, uh, I, it was it's entertaining. And that is available not only in theaters, but for some streaming. It's a day and date release, yes. I believe. Yep. Uh, and also in theaters called Maggie Moore's. Let's go to Netflix next. For a sequel, after barely surviving his grievous wounds from his mission in Bangladesh, Tyler Rake is back. His team is ready to take on their next mission. It's Extraction 2. Tyler, you were clinically dead nine months ago. But you fought your way back. You came back for this. Why? He told me to find the reason I fought my way back. Let's find out. I think the... the Trailers are kind of funny here because if you saw Extraction 1, did anybody really think he was dead? I didn't. I thought no. it was pretty clear yeah. that he wasn't dying. But anyway, he's back. Tyler Rake, uh, Chris Hemsworth, and he's got a new mission. And this is, it's ridiculous, okay? If you oh, just yeah. if you put the ridiculous out of your head, it delivers the action. It, it does. It really does. No, it absolutely does. Uh, and it is, it's so, it's so ridiculous it's so ridiculous that it has to to get over it. And I mean, I love the way the the set pieces are filmed. Very, you know, long, oh, long, yeah. highly choreographed takes. Well, the director is Sam Hargrave, who is a former stuntman. Mm. And I think you can tell. I mean, there are some really well choreographed action sequences that, you, that like you say, go on for a long yeah. time. They're, they are either very long takes or... They they are you know masquerading as very long takes. After a while, I was kind of looking. Oh, could they have cut there? Right, right. Because they go on much too long. They can't be one take. But they do a good job making it look like one take. And the action is well done. And you know what else is good about this? The sound design. Yes. Like when a bone breaks. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. You hear it. Mm-hmm. Um. So so those elements. If you're just looking for a straight action. And don't think about, wait, wait, wouldn't there be, no, don't think about that. No, don't. don't. (laughs) No, don't. The action gets delivered because he, Tyler Rake, is tasked by Idris Elba, by the way. Yeah, because Chris Hemsworth is not enough handsome for one scene. (laughs) With helping out and trying to extract a woman and her two kids and who are being held basically in a Georgian prison yeah. by the woman's husband because he's a he's a bad guy but he's getting privileges in the in the prison and some of the one of those privileges is to have his family there in the cell with him okay but the woman just happens to be the sister of Tyler's ex-wife yeah it so was- it's personal 
Yeah, it is. But who's paying for it? Don't think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. And then also, nobody's very grateful, I can tell you that. Everybody's still real mad at him for yeah. something that he did a long time ago. What, did he kick an old woman down the stairs? So it gives him, it, it gives the character more of an emotional attachment, I guess, this time. But you know what else I liked? I liked his his running mate, uh, played by Gol Shifta. Of Faharani, and I, I hope I pronounced that right. And she is from years ago. She was in a totally different type of, type of role from Patterson. Patterson. Love Remember Patterson. Remember that one? Yeah. And she, you know, they gave her a decent part. They really did in the in the first extraction, yeah. but it's much beefier in this yeah, one. She yeah. gets a lot more opportunity to to have a character to, you know, deliver dialogue, but also to do, to do some action. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. She handles it well. Um, so she's sort of his assistant, but she's got a partner too, uh, Yaz, played by Adam Bessa, and they have a great a great relationship really do, too. Yeah. So so all that I think is well done and just just action, action, action. If that's what you want, it is going to deliver. It really is. The bad guy's good too. I like the bad guy. Played by oh boy, this is a tough one. Tornike Gongrichiani. That's I'm sure that's bad, but yeah, anyway, yes, it's he's not a, right. We're sure we apologize, <laughs> we apologize sir, because it was a really good performance. <laughs> yeah, it was. And I have to say, when it gets down to the final battle, you know, you're thinking when a the worse a bad guy is, you think, well, then the worse his ending has to be. Exactly. I liked it. Yeah. It was kind of funny, too, yeah. no, but the way good. they finally did yeah. I'm like, all right, mm-hmm. that was a, uh, so sort of a wink-wink. And then, of course, expect more, because at the end, they, they set up they set up for a, a Extraction 3, and uh, just keep the action coming. Don't think about it. Turn your brain off and enjoy it. And Because it's it, so dumb. And it delivers the goods, and that is Extraction 2, now on Netflix. We'll go back to theaters for a drama horror fantasy. A comatose five-year-old girl journeys through an industrial wonderland to find her way back to consciousness. It's called Moon Garden. I miss my mommy and daddy. Help, sweetie. Listen, just right. You'll hear the signal. You know it. It's up to you. You have to find a way out of the dark. Mommy, I hear you. You can help her. You can help her be strong by being strong yourself. I wish I had known more when I was young. I wish I had known that the world was bigger than how I felt. Then there would still be beauty. There would still be magic. Writer-director Ryan Stevens-Harris creates... You know, it's it's a it's a hard uh, spot to land on because it's definitely a horror film, but it's got this sort of macabre wonder um, uh, of a child's imagination. It takes, you know, so many times a fairy tale itself, especially when you're a kid thinking about the fairy tale, it's creepier than you recognize, mm-hmm. you know, but... At the same time, you know, one of the things that that the film gets right is like there are moments still of wonder, of of laughter, you know, um, and and I think that that's sort of the hope that is necessary for you to accept that the central character is a five year old girl and she's wonderful. Yeah, the, she's played by Haven Lee Harris, which I'm assuming is that a. I couldn't find it. I couldn't find anywhere could, that they were be, related, but I would be. think so because a couple of years ago there was a short. This was a short film, same little girls, the star. So my guess is that yes, mm-hmm. they are related. But she's wonderful in this movie, um, and in the, the way where you think to yourself, I, I, clearly she had to memorize the line. She's got quite a bit of dialogue, but it's hard to imagine can, how a five year old yeah. can memorize the lines and yet they still feel quite. 
natural and spontaneous. I don't know. She does a great job. And the, you know, the what's best about the film is during the fantasy sequence. So we open on some sort of family dynamics and the 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 struggle within the family not only cause accidentally the the accident that leaves the little girl in a coma, but they're really they're thematically what she's having these nightmare visions about during her quest to come sort of back to her family. Um, and uh, but once you get into the kind of nightmare realm that mm-hmm. she's that she's traversing, that's really where the whole film it it just shines. There's a lot of stop action. Yeah. With the villain who's yeah. creepy. Villain is named Teeth. Um, and then also just the other odd characters that she runs into during this period. They're very interesting. They got this old timey stagey kind of costuming going on that works really well with the aesthetic that has been developed. The I mean the set design is amazing here. And again, so is the sound design. Mm-hmm. The creature design is great. It's a hokey movie, the storyline itself, and the the actors that play the mother and father, maybe because the focus is really not on the non-fantasy of the film, they come off as being maybe not as strong mm-hmm. as they could be. But on the whole, it's just a wondrous, if you like horror, it's a wondrous sort of a film to watch. Yeah, and another one to see to take full advantage of the visuals on the big screen. Do it. And it is out in theaters now called Moon Garden. Next up, a thriller on VOD, one that we're very glad to see getting a wider release. During a pandemic, a pregnant restaurateur tries to rob a priceless truffle from a reclusive veteran. It's called Peppergrass. The old has got a bunker full of old rifles from the war. Trunks of cartridges. All of it. This is how he does. You know, we were kind of hoping to get some of the truffles that you used to give her grandfather. Morris, what are you doing? Shut up. Give us the white one. Yeah, we're happy about this because this is another alumni film of Nightmares Film Festival. Put it on your calendar, horror fans, every October here in Columbus, Ohio. And it's getting a nice stable of films that are going on to get distribution because this was a thriller. And truth be told, we are we are the lead judges for the thriller category. And this is one that we put up there right away yeah. uh, when we saw it. And it was funny because it came out originally, we saw it. In the same year that we had like three movies about truffles, truffles. <laughs> one pig, yeah, obviously, pig with Nicolas Cage, mm-hmm. and there was that great documentary about the the old man who really did hunt truffles, and then this one comes yeah. along where they have this gigantic truffle, and they think they're going to take it from this this old veteran, and things go awry, and uh, it's really. It's, it's not horror, but it's a thriller. It is. And it's effective, and we liked it. And it flirts with, uh, you know, by the by the middle of the second act, it flirts with horror. It absolutely does. It does, because you're and, in the woods yep. and you're being chased. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It kind of, I mean, it shifts genres throughout its running time. It kind of goes from a heist movie to, like, a backwoods horror movie to a survival film. Right. And, and I think that there are times when maybe the tone shifts a little bit in, in, in a sort of 
not as well as it could. But the performances are really, really good, really, really solid. The writers are Stephen Garbus and Philip Irwin, and then the directors are Stephen Garbus and Chantel Hahn. And she is the star. Chantel Hahn is the star. And she's so good. And then uh, Charles Boyland. Uh, plays Morris. Morris, who's he's one of those characters. Uh, um, they're sort of frenemies, right? I mean, it's and she's she's the very serious anchor to the film, and he's just a dumbass. And the whole movie, he is. and it's you know, it's it's a credit to his performance because you want to smack him or you want her to smack him, but you can't root against him. You can't help yourself. But damn, he he doesn't make smart decisions. No, especially early on when he makes that first bad decision. Oh, yeah. She's like, what are you doing? Yeah, so many times. Yeah. but. I, I mean, I just really and, and the other thing that I love is that there's a there's there's a second story happening underneath the 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 main sort of action laden story that they don't belabor, but it's really well handled and just all the way. It's an impressive film. It's an impressive piece of writing. Uh, uh, performances are great, and it's it's a really well directed film. So yeah. check it out if you can. Check it out on VOD now. It's called Peppergrass. And we'll go back to theaters for a war drama. A young Jewish man in a concentration camp has his life saved from executioners when they realize he owns a Persian book brought before a camp officer who wants to learn Farsi. The man agrees to teach him despite not knowing a word of the language. This is called Persian Lessons. I'm not a murderer. You say that you're going to kill me. I'm not a murderer. From the angst? Well, this one, this one caught my attention right away from from the the synopsis and the trailer. Mm-hmm. I was hooked, and it's another one. It says it was inspired by true events, and I don't know how much of it is true, but it's an incredible story. It was uh, reviewed at MadWolf.com by Rachel Willis, and she really liked it. Yeah, she thought it was great. The performances are great. the The direction is really wonderful. It keeps you on the edge of your seat the whole time. Um, you know, and it is, it's a powerful drama as World War II as Holocaust dramas tend to be, mm-hmm. but the execution is just perfect. Yeah, and, you know, we've seen so many, for, for good reason, Holocaust dramas that sometimes you wonder how, how can someone find a new angle, a new story? Well, they, they're, they're out there. Yeah. They're out there, and this, no matter how much of it is true, is one of them. And yeah, the main character, Giles, is played by, oh, I'll butcher this as well, Nahul Perez Biscayart. And then the director is Vadim Perlman. So uh, well done all the way around. And get Rachel's full review. You can find that at madwolf.com. But a big recommendation in theaters now for Persian lessons. Also having a limited theater run this week is a crime sci-fi drama docudrama. In 2013, the military police of the Brazilian Federal District initiated a large operation against drug traffic in the peripheral city of Silandia dismantling a series of illegal networks and arresting 16 men. This is called Dry Ground Burning. Matt Wiener reviewed this one for us at MadWolf.com. Couldn't say enough great things about it. It's a it's a really wild mix of genres, um, and there are full sections of it that really are just documentary. They are mm-hmm. they are they are filmed at protests that took place in Brazil, mm-hmm. um, and it's a and it's a strident feminist, you know, dystopian fantasy at the same time. It's brilliant. It's fascinating. Yeah, this was during uh, Brazilian President Bolsonaro's 
regime, who's not president anymore. But this was this is set then. It's a writers and directors, Joanna Pimenta and Arderly Quieros. And yeah, big recommendation from from Matt Weiner. And this is one that just it sucks you in, like you said, with these different genres and some of it is just straight documentary. And then some is dramatic retellings. But it's all very, very gripping. A dry ground burning. Check out Matt Weiner's review at MadWolf.com. It's in theaters now. And one more horror thriller on VOD. After taking a temporary job as a caregiver, a young woman realizes her employer and the house have a dangerous, dark past. It's called Aged. You're safe here, Miss, Miss Great. No one would ever harm you. I'm not crazy. I know what I saw. All these things that you say you're seeing and hearing. They're not real. This is from writer-director Anubis Lopez, and Brandon Thomas reviewed this at MadWolf.com, and uh, he said it has some it has some issues. One is the old age makeup, yeah. which unfortunately we see is is a problem frequently. But he he thought it was it was fine. Yeah, it's a ghost story essentially at its heart is a ghost story film, and it's not one of those ones that you're going to remember forever. But it is you know it is a perfectly entertaining you know ninety minutes to right. spend if you are in the in the mood. For a new ghost story. Yeah, I know. Just a, a quick 90 minutes on VOD, and it might be might be well worth the time. And that is Aged. You can get Brandon Thomas's review at MadWolf.com. Okay, time to head to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Time to check back in with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. The Schlocketeer, for all the latest news and notes. What's happening? If you haven't been able to see The Wrath of Becky or Gerard Butler's Kandahar in theaters, both are now available in VOD. Um, those might be the higher premium prices, but you'll be able to watch them at home. And Evil Dead Rise will be available to stream on Max starting June 23rd. Cool. Then Netflix has a musical doc, Wham, about the band, um, premiering on July 5th. That's all. That's You say Netflix? Yep. Oh, okay, cool. And then there is a documentary on Sharksploitation movies called Sharksploitation that will be premiering on both Shudder and AMC Plus on July 21st. That's from the same team who did the Jodorowsky's Dune documentary from the Oh, oh back, yeah, that was, yeah, that was pretty good. Looking forward to that one. Shark exploitation. All right. Yeah. <laughs> and then Disney has majorly shifted most of their live action blockbusters for the next few years due to the current WGA strike and the pending SAG strike. Uh, first up, Deadpool 3, which is already in production, has moved up to a May 2024 release. And in turn, Captain America Brave New World has been pushed back to July 2024. And Thunderbolts has moved to December 2024. Mm-hmm. The Blade movie got shoved back to February 2025. Fantastic Four to May 2025. And then they slotted in that Moana remake we talked about recently to uh, June 2025. Should I have the, the feeling that there be maybe more of this coming? Pretty much. Um, 
course, because they've shifted all those Marvel movies, they've also pushed back the next two Avengers movies back mm-hmm. a year apiece, one hitting mm-hmm. in 2026 and the one in 2027. Mm-hmm. Avatar 3 got moved back to December 2025 because they still have additional photography to do. And if the Screen Actors Guild goes on strike, they're not going to be able to shoot that this year. Right. And then, of course, that pushed back the releases of Avatar 4 and 5. And then the weird thing amidst all this is, you know, of course, even these dates might not hold, but they went ahead and announced the next three Star Wars movies anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> With release dates, uh, they have two of them coming out in 2026, one in May and one in December, and then a third one coming out in 2027. That kind of seems like a mistake, given that, you know, part of the reason they've taken this well, it'll be like a five- or six-year break once it ends. But part of the reason they did that is they were cranking out one a year, and that kind of impacted the box office results of that Han Solo movie and then also, you know, even The Rise of Skywalker. So mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if uh, roaring uh, Star Wars back into theaters with two movies in the same year is the best idea. Yeah, it seems a little, but, little curious, but we'll see. And that's about all I've got for you this week. All right, well, you can always catch up with Daniel and the latest news on the socials at The Schlocketeer. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having me. Looking ahead to next week, oh, one that we just saw yesterday, the latest from Wes Anderson is out next week called Asteroid City. And then the new Jennifer Lawrence comedy, No Hard Feelings. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I, I mean, the, the trailer has me thinking that it's funny. I hope it is. Uh, also, Mad Heidi. That's the one I'm looking forward to. Close to Vermeer. Love Gets a Room. Quicksand. Hole in the Fence. Melt goes on forever. And make up. What are those about? We don't know, but we'll find out <laughs> next week. <laughs> well, what about this week? Did you love The Flash or Elemental or The Blackening, Maggie Morris, Extraction 2, or some of the smaller movies this uh, this week? We always like to talk about them, keep the conversation going. Easy enough on Twitter. That's at Mad Wolf, M A D D. W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, you can find us at Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of the written reviews that we talked about, that's all at madwolf.com. So uh, keep in touch. We hope you will enjoy the movies. Until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. Happy Father's Day. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.